Well, this is Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday that we especially recognize and remember Jesus' entry into Jerusalem for his final week of ministry before the cross, that day that Jesus was welcomed in by a parade and people cut palm fronds down from the fields and laid them on the road ahead of Jesus, kind of an organic red carpet for him to ride in on a colt. And I, I read this story about a little boy who had to stay home from church on Palm Sunday, and he was disappointed. He was there with his mom, but he had a sore throat, and he did the right thing and stayed home, important safety tip. And when the rest of his family came home, they were carrying some palm fronds that they had from services that morning. And this kid asked about them. He was curious. He said, what are those for? And his dad told him, well, people laid these on the road in front of Jesus as he rode by on a colt. And that little boy looked at that and he said, wouldn't you know it, the one Sunday I miss because I'm sick, Jesus shows up and there's pony rides. <laughs> well, no pony rides today, but I can tell you this, you won't want to miss being here Friday as we gather for our Good Friday services. You won't want to miss being here Easter Sunday and everything that's going to be going on that day either. And that one person, remember the one person that you're praying for, that one person that you're trying to introduce to Jesus Christ, what a great day to bring them. You're, they're not going to want to miss it either, all right? Friday, 6 p.m., here, and then next Sunday, 8.15, 10.45, breakfast at 9.30, if uh, only that were on the screen. I thought it was. All right. Well, why should I believe you? That's the series that we have launched into, and uh, that is an honest, often unspoken question that people are asking regarding faith in Jesus and life in Jesus. Why should I believe you? And with an honest and often unspoken concern and love for those people, we are working to try to answer those questions this month. Why should you believe the things that we believe? I'm glad you asked that. History bears that a man named Jesus, who was born and lived in the Middle East, was there about 2,000 years ago. And just for fun, here are the names. We will have these appear on the screen. The names and the years during which several historians wrote, and in their writing included some note about this man, Jesus. These are not Bible writers. These guys are just historians in their day. Probably you won't name your children after them. There is really no need to argue about the existence of a man in history known as Jesus Christ any more than there is a need to argue about the existence of a man named Plato or Julius Caesar or Alexander the Great. That's pretty well established, so we're not going to camp out there this morning. We really don't need to deal with that. But there is an important question this morning about the identity of Jesus. It's one of those things that we believe, that Jesus was not just a man. I was waiting for that. 
The most detailed recorded story of Jesus' time on earth that we have is in four books. You know those four books, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call them the four Gospels. We usually refer to them as that. And if you want to learn about Jesus, if you want to know all that we can know about Jesus, read the four Gospels. Read those four books. And that's a big ask for somebody who is just curious. And by the way, let me ask you this morning, how many of you are Jewish? Online. Anybody out there? All right. Well, Matthew was written especially for, guess whom? For the Jews. And Matthew's target of his audience was to carefully draw attention to the way that Jesus is the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament. Jesus is the king of the Jews. That's the special message of the book of Matthew. Mark is different. How many of you out there are Roman? Still no takers. Nobody online either, I'll bet you. Mark was written especially for Romans. Mark's writing is fast and to the point. It's kind of like Rockford. Mark's favorite word is immediately. It occurs seven times in the first chapter of Mark. Immediately. It's like the gospel written for somebody on the streets of New York who's on his way to work eating a bagel and woofing it down as he goes. Mark. How many of you are Greeks? You see, Luke was written especially for Greeks. Luke was a physician. His writing was more technical. His grammar, his vocabulary shows it. He was educated. He was an intellectual. He was a researcher. And he would especially appeal to the Greek intellectuals of his day. Let me ask this, though. How many of you are pretty much regular people who appreciate when something is written in words that you can understand and relate to? There we are. Me too. And that's John. That's the Gospel of John. John is especially written for you and me. So if you want to find out about Jesus Christ quickly, when somebody wants to understand God or what God wants for your life, probably the straightest and simplest and quickest route to get there is to meet Jesus Christ by reading the book of John. It's a great place to start. And if you're one person that you are working with, is willing to do it, ask her, ask him to simply read the book of John. In fact, offer to read the book of John with that person. You could read the whole thing out loud in less than two hours. But be warned ahead of time if you sit to read the book of John. It's not something that you can do and then just act like there hasn't been something that's happened. This morning, I want to get us to all feel at home with that idea. I want to run through the whole book of John. So let's open up our Bibles. Like I said, we could do this in less than two hours. And I want this morning, in the time that we have, to leave here with the whole point of the book of John. That's what I want you to leave with. 879 verses, 21 chapters. And in one verse... John gives us the point of the whole book, one verse. Come back next Sunday, I'm going to tell you what it is. Just kidding. Stick with me for the next 20 minutes and I will tell you what it is. People are searching, aren't they? People have always been searching, by the way. And I just wonder this morning, what would you say people are searching for in the times that we live in? 
What are the big things that people are searching for? Let me hear it from you. What are they? Peace, acceptance, love, hope, security, kindness, understanding, truth. You know what? None of these things are brand new, are they? The same things that people are searching for today are the kinds of things that people were searching for years ago. They're looking for meaning in their lives and these things that were just named. And I can tell you, like someone said, people are searching for hope. How important is the message that Central Christian Church has when we dare to say, hope lives here? As it turns out, there were people searching for those kinds of things in Jesus' day. They were looking for it, especially in the person of the Messiah, the promised one from God who would come. They came to John the Baptist. John came to prepare the way for Jesus. People came to John the Baptist in large numbers, and basically they had two questions for John the Baptist as they came to him. One question was, what should we do? And John told them specific things. He told them to repent. He told them some specific things that they should do that showed that they were changing their lives. The other question that they were asking him, though, was this. Who are you? Who are you? And John the Baptist made it clear, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one you're looking for. John chapter 1, here we go into the text. John chapter 1, verse 26. John the Baptist answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. That someone was Jesus. And the next day, it says, John the Baptist sees Jesus, and he says about Jesus in verse 34, I have seen and have borne witness that this is, who? The Son of God. So from there, the gospel writer John, not John the Baptist, but John who wrote the gospel of John, talks and tells us about the ministry of Jesus and the things that Jesus did to cause the people to believe that he is not just a man. Signs, John calls them. Look at chapter 2, verse 23. Now when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. One of the Jewish leaders, Nicodemus, comes to talk with Jesus, and he acknowledges to him in chapter 3, verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Chapter 4, Jesus has a conversation with a woman outside of the city of Sychar. It changes her life. She rushes into town, and she tells the people there in her town, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Shortly after that, there is a man in Capernaum who approached Jesus. He is desperately looking for help. His son is at home seriously ill. Jesus tells him, go back home with the promise that his son will live. <clears throat> this man believed. So Jesus leaves. The man heads back home. His servants met him on the road and told him, your son is better. 
And he asks, well, when did he get better? He recovered the day before on the seventh hour, the exact same time, guess what, that Jesus said, your son will live. John chapter 4, verse 53, the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed in all his household. Chapter 6, John records another sign. Remember the story? 5,000 men and others gathered listening to Jesus teach, and it comes time to eat, and they didn't bring food. But there is a little boy's lunch there, five loaves, two fish, and Jesus blesses it, and miraculously feeds this entire multitude of people. This whole crowd is fed and full and has leftovers. And the waitress looked at them and said, are you still working on that? <laughs> Chapter 6, verse 13, so they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said... This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Do you see what John is doing here? Chapter 9. Jesus heals a man who was born blind. Now, at first, this man's not sure what to believe about Jesus. He gets questioned right away. But as the story presses on, it's obvious to him that Jesus is more than just a man. And by the end of that story, he believes in Jesus. And John chapter 9, verse 38, he worshipped him. Now, by telling us about all of these people who, if you're paying attention, you'll notice, believed John is inviting you and me to consider who is Jesus. He's a great teacher who makes some very big claims and he also performs miracles to show that he is not just an ordinary man. John, by the way, is the gospel that records all of the great I am statements by Jesus I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door of the sheep. I am the true vine. I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. I am the resurrection and the life. And I wonder, when you read those things that Jesus said there, and you read those stories about what Jesus did there, what do you believe about Jesus? It's hard to read those things and then just act like it doesn't matter, isn't it? Just like today, as people look at and consider Jesus and they weigh the things that Jesus did and the things that Jesus said, some of those people turn skeptical. At the end of chapter 6, Jesus gives some teaching that's hard to listen to. In fact, it's so hard that it sends a lot of people walking. Apparently, Jesus was not an effective preacher. A lot of people left, it says. John chapter 6, verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are 
the Holy One of God. Starting there at the end of chapter 6, John begins to show how there are divided opinions about Jesus. For instance, the other four men who were born to Mary, Jesus' younger half-brothers, didn't believe in him. John 7, verse 5, it says, not even his brothers believed in him. Keep reading in that chapter. Verse 12, there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man. Others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Verse 25, some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. Go on down in that chapter. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Divided opinions. Look at verse 40. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Chapter 10, verse 20. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? If you are listening carefully, you'll notice that John isn't just telling to you about some people who heard and saw Jesus around 30 AD, he is also telling you and you and you about Jesus. And he is asking you, where are you in all of this discussion? What do you think? Some are running after Jesus, amazed and hopeful. And at the same time, there are some people who are arranging for him to be killed. Wherever the story of Jesus is told, we can expect a similar thing to happen. Ever since he walked on the earth, people have divided over him. It wasn't just because he was a dynamic teacher. It wasn't because he was an effective leader it was because of this, because Jesus claimed to be more than just a man. He claimed to have come from heaven. He claimed to have existed before Abraham, a thousand years before. He claimed to have God as his father. He claimed to be one with God. He claimed to have all authority in heaven and on earth. He claimed that he would go to heaven and would come again and take his people to be with him. He claimed that he would be crucified, that he would be buried, and that he would rise again from the dead on the third day. And today, some people are running after Jesus, amazed and hopeful, 
And at the same time, there are people who set themselves as enemies of his church who are making it their life's ambition to persecute Jesus by persecuting his people. And the reason for those extremes, just like before, is what people believe about his identity. Was God in the flesh showing himself Jesus Christ or was he just a man? So here's a quote from someone smart. C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, and I know you've heard it before because I've used it before, and if you hear it and it sounds familiar, then good. I've used it enough that you recognize it. And if you hear it and you go, I've never heard that before, good. I'm using it today in the hopes that you'll recognize it. It needs to be repeated again. C.S. Lewis back in the 1950s, wrote, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. What do you believe? That word, believe, shows up in the New Testament about 200 times. Just under half are in the book of John. What do you believe about Jesus? You know, this Friday we're going to be gathering here to remember the trial and crucifixion of Jesus. Good Friday is the name of the holiday, and then comes Easter Sunday, and we'll be rejoicing in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Amen? If you struggle with the idea that Jesus really rose from the dead, then I urge you to come next Sunday and answer the question, why should I believe you, when we talk about because Jesus is alive. Even Jesus' disciples, by the way, struggled at first with the idea that Jesus really did come to life again. They'd seen him tortured, they'd seen him buried and dead, and once he arose and started to show himself alive, remember, there was one disciple who wasn't there with the group when Jesus showed himself at first. Remember Thomas? And it's John... Who tells us about that? Chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, 
and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, if Jesus had just walked through the wall, I'd need someone to tell me, peace be with you too. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. By the way, those who have not seen and yet believed, that's you and me who believe that Jesus is who he said and that he is alive. We didn't get to see the physically resurrected Jesus either. Not yet. But what we do have is the reliable and credible records of eyewitnesses and their life stories as a witness to their conviction. Many of those people saw and heard Jesus, and they chose to believe in him. And did you notice, by the way, at the same time, there were many, even though they saw Jesus, even though they saw the things that he did, who chose not to believe. Don't say like Thomas, well, since I can't see Jesus in person, since I can't touch Jesus in person, I will never believe. John is inviting you and me today to answer the question, what do you believe about Jesus? And now the moment I promised. The whole point of the book of John. It's not a secret, chapter 20 Verse 30, he spells it out as plain as day for us. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's it. That's why John wrote the whole book. This thing that we just took a quick look at this morning, the reason these things are written for us to see today is so that you will believe the things that Jesus claimed about himself, that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, the chosen one of God, the Son of God, and that through that belief in him, through faith in him, you can have life in his name. At a very crucial time in his ministry, I want to go to another gospel for a moment. Jesus asks this important question of his disciples. John, or in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, says, When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, 
Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, who do you say that I am? See, it's one thing to answer the question, what do other people believe? That's pretty safe to answer, isn't it? We could sit here all day and talk about that. People think all kinds of crazy things. It's not your fault that they think what they think. You can't control what everyone else thinks and does. We could talk about that all day and not do a thing about it. And we'd feel kind of safe, too. But to ask, <clears throat> what do you think? Well, that's another story, isn't it? Because when you say Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you've just obligated yourself. You're either deciding to submit your life to the Lord of all that is, or you're choosing to turn your back on him and to reject his rightful place in your life. That's the choice that we're left with today. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? These things are written that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That invitation is for every person who would listen to God's word. And that's the point of the book of John. This morning, you have a choice to make. You have a decision to make. I know that I'm speaking mostly to a group of people who acknowledge the truth of that statement, that Jesus is the Son of God. When you and I acknowledge that, when we say that we believe that, we're obligating ourselves, aren't we? We're promising that we're going to act like we really believe Jesus is who he claimed to be. That he died for us, that he rose again, that he's coming again, that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. If you have begun today to think, that is true. I do believe that. Well, there's something for you to do too. If you've never made Jesus Lord of your life as he deserves to be and as he truly is, you'll one day acknowledge that he is, but right now you have the opportunity to become a follower of Christ. You can begin a relationship with Jesus today. If you haven't done that and you believe these things about him are true, there are some steps for you to take. You need to acknowledge that Jesus is who he claimed to be. You need to repent of an old way of living, to turn away from that old life and walk the direction he wants you to walk. You need to be willing to acknowledge who Jesus is to whoever might want to hear that. And you need to be baptized into him. He promises there that he'll wash away all of our sins, that he'll bury the old person and raise you up as a new person. What a wonderful promise that is that God gives to us. You can do that today. I'm going to ask you please to stand with me and we're going to pray. And wherever you're at in this, I want to encourage you to make the decision today. What are you going to do 
with this statement about Jesus. He is the Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, the way that it is simple in that it makes it clear who Jesus is, how we should respond to who he is. Thank you for the message that you inspired John to write, that you oversaw, so that today we could look at it again, so that we could know you through the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. Right now, Father, we're making decisions whether to store this information away and just have it be head knowledge or to have it move us deep within, to grow us or to repel us, we're making choices. Father, please be honored. Help us to make the right choices right now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.